Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoyed listening to the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Matthew chapter 5, and we will be looking at verses uh, 17 through 20. Um, But before we do... Jesus has called us to be disciples. And Jesus was teaching the Sermon on the Mount that this passage is a part of to His disciples. Well, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And I don't mean the twelve guys that followed Him around for three years before He was crucified and rose again. I mean, what does it mean today to be a disciple of Jesus? I get my cue here from Matthew 28, at the end of the book we're working on. Matthew 28, in verses uh, 18 through the end of the chapter, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, In all, all authority has been given, I'm sorry, all authority in heaven and on earth, has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, Jesus here gives the Great Commission and or we call it the Great Commission, it's his, his last commission, His words to His disciples, telling them what they were to do, and He says to go and make disciples. And what are, they to, what are we to do when we're making disciples? To baptize them. So a person who is, becomes a disciple, who becomes a Christian, if you become a Christian, you are a disciple. There's not a difference between the two, like between being a Christian and being a disciple. And I think some people may get that idea. Well, you become a Christian, you, become, you get saved, you become, be, you're born again, you experience the forgiveness of sins, and then later on, you, have, you, you get more serious, and then you really become a disciple. That's not the way the Great Commission has it. The Great Commission says, make disciples and then baptize them. So, everybody who's a believer is to be a disciple of Jesus. And we're to baptize disciples. Uh, We're a Baptist church here. And uh, we may have a lot of differences with other different denominations, but most of those have to do with church government, who we believe can be baptized, and things like that. As Baptists, we believe that it is only disciples that should be baptized. According to this text, it says, make disciples, baptizing them. So we wouldn't, we wouldn't baptize someone who was not already a believer, a professing believer. We wouldn't baptize an infant. But it says, then, uh, teaching them everything I commanded you. Teaching them everything I commanded you. To, to be a disciple... And to make disciples, it involves teaching and learning everything that Jesus taught. Now, in one sense, let's, let's think about this. First Peter, Jesus, or Peter says, 
that in the Old Testament, the prophets were writing down the things that the Spirit of Christ told them to write down. When we're talking about learning everything that Jesus taught and everything that comes from the voice of Jesus, we're not just looking at the red letters in our Bibles. We're looking at all of the Bible. Whether it was Paul that said it, whether it was Jesus that said it, whether it came from one of the Old Testament books, it comes from Jesus. And we're to learn all of those things. Now Jesus, here in the text we're going to look at tonight, He tells us how we are to look at the Old Testament. There are some who would want to minimize the Old Testament in one way or another. But I'm convinced, and, and I think Jesus is teaching here, that the Old Testament is important for discipleship. We need to know the Old Testament. So let's look at Jesus' words. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Of heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word, as the text that Bradley read said, it it was established in heaven forever. It is firmly fixed in heaven. It never changes. And Lord, your word gives life. Lord, we pray you would give us ears to hear your word. Lord, that we would have eyes to see Your glory on these pages tonight. Lord, I need Your grace. I need Your strength to preach this Word tonight. In Jesus' name, Amen. Passages like this sometimes come across as a little bit difficult. You know, when, we, when we look at the miracles of Jesus, we, we think we are amazed. When we see the things that He did whenever He healed the sick, whenever He healed the blind, whenever He, he raised people from the dead, we're amazed. And when we see these stories of Jesus, it causes us to worship Him in amazement. And when we come to passages that tell us what to do, like the one we had last week, it tells us to shine our light, to let our lights shine before men so they might see our good works. This is a passage last week that was telling us something to do. And we like that. It gives us a sense of pride, almost. Because when Jesus tells us something to do and we go do it, we can say, look at me. But Jesus here, He's telling us what to think. 
And we usually don't like that. We think we think, all right. We, we don't want anybody telling us how to think. But Jesus here is telling us how to think. Romans tells us that we are not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Jesus is Lord of all, and He is Lord of our minds. He has the right to tell us how to think. The first thing He says here in this passage, He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I think one of the reasons why he says this is someone had to already have that idea. Jesus was doing things differently than other religious teachers of His day. He, he was accused of breaking the Sabbath because of what He would do. And there were other things that He would be accused of of not wanting to keep the Old Testament. And so there was a misconception at the time. People were thinking, well, if he's doing this, then he must not care about the Old Testament. Jesus here, he he corrects this misconception. And he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. What is the law and the prophets? Now, at first, we might get the idea he's talking about the moral law. What we see in the Ten Commandments, like do not kill, do not lie, do not commit adultery, do not do all these things. We're talking about rules and and ethics and moral things, moral teachings. But I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at here. Jesus is talking about the law and the prophets. The Old Testament in Jesus' day, it was, it was called the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings. He, he calls it in the book of Luke at the end of it, the Law, the Prophets, and the Psalms. Uh, if you have a, a Hebrew Bible, which I have several at home, uh, it, 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 you can, it, written on the side it might be the Tanakh, standing for Torah, which you may have heard that word, it's, it means law or instruction. The prophets were the uh, Nivim, the N in Tanakh, and the, the writing was the Ketuvim, coming from the word to write. And so the, the, the Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew Scriptures were the law, the prophets, and the writings. When Jesus here, He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets, He wasn't just talking about the moral law. He was talking about, do not think that I've come to throw out the Old Testament. But, He says, I've come to fulfill it. He says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, but I have come to fulfill it. Let me, let me back up just a little bit. The law, what does that include? It includes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The first five books of the Old Testament are the law, the Torah, the Pentateuch. Those are all names for those books together as a collection. What do we see here in the law that points to Jesus? Well, it starts back in Genesis 3. Our very first service here 
at Redeemer Baptist Church, we looked at Genesis 3. And we saw how God gave a promise when Adam and Eve sinned, God gave a promise to Adam and Eve that there would be a seed of the woman that would one day come and crush the serpent's head. That messianic promise from the very beginning of Genesis. And we see that unfolding throughout the rest of the story. You come to Abraham. You have uh, this promise to Abraham of someone who would come from his line who would bless all nations. This was Jesus. And by the time you get to the end of um, the book of Genesis, it's narrowed down so that you see at the end of Genesis, there's a prophecy by Jacob saying that his son Judah, that the scepter would not depart from Judah. By the end of the book of Genesis, you know what tribe that the Messiah was going to come from. And then there's tension brought into the story. You, at the end of Genesis, the God's people are down in Egypt, and you open up in Exodus, and there's tension brought in because the God's people are now enslaved. They're enslaved, and uh, the question then becomes, how is God going to fulfill His promise to Abraham if His people are enslaved in Egypt? And so God, He does miraculous things, and He uh, delivers His people through plagues and other things. He delivers them out of Egypt and brings them into the promised land that He promised to Abraham so that He could be faithful to the promise to Abraham and to Adam and Eve of a seed who would one day bless all nations who would one day come and crush the serpent's head. That's the story of the law. And then the prophets. The prophets, well, we often think about Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, all of those as prophets. Well, the prophets are not just those. The prophets, those are the writing prophets. Or some call them the, the later prophets. They're the ones who wrote down, and we have what they said. But there were some former prophets that were earlier. And the prophets that you read about in those are people like Elijah, Elisha. The former prophets include the books uh, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. And it continues the story. When we look at the historical books, as they're often called, from, from Joshua through Kings, this is not just history. It's not just written so that we know what happens between Moses, between the death of Moses and the exile. The prophets were writing those books and they were telling us the story of how God was going to be faithful to His promises. At the end of the Torah, the law, the people aren't yet in the promised land. So someone has to tell how that happened and how God was going to be faithful to His promise. So you see the book of Joshua tells the story of how God was faithful to that. And you see 
in Judges. Everything's a mess. It's all a mess. You've got the people, they keep falling into sin, and then God keeps delivering His people. Even though they keep falling into sin over and over again, God keeps sending a deliverer that points forward to the ultimate deliverer who would crush the serpent's head. And at the end, well, sometime during that judge's period, we see Ruth. And you know, Ruth, she's in the genealogy of Jesus. She was David's grandmother, King David. And when we come to Samuel, we see another promise. We had a promise to Adam and Eve that a seed of the woman would come and crush the serpent's head. We had a promise to Abraham that one day he would have a child, a descendant, who would bless every nation. And in Samuel 7, 1 Samuel chapter 7, we see there's a promise to David that he would have a son who would sit on his throne forever. And none of the other descendants of Jesus or of David ever fulfilled that. Solomon, Rehoboam. When it comes to the Rehoboam, there's another split in the kingdom, another threat to this promise that God has. And the prophets, as they write this story, they're they're continually going back to God's people and showing how God will be faithful to His promise to Adam and Eve, to Abraham, and to David. And we see the story of the kings going forward, and there were some good kings, and there were some bad kings, And then at the very end of this, the the former prophets, the end of kings, you see the king of Judah, the descendant of David, the last one in the line, taken into Babylon in chains. And God's people are wondering, how is He going to keep His promise? And so you have other prophets, the writing prophets, who are writing about that. And you have Isaiah saying, there will be a branch of David, a root of Jesse that will spring forth. The law and the prophets, they pointed forward to Jesus. They pointed forward to the Messiah that was to come Jesus, when He came, He did not come to throw away the story. He came to fulfill it. He was the answer to the story. He was the climax of the story. And then, there's other ways that Jesus fulfilled this as well. There's other ways that Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. And particularly, I'm thinking of the law. Jesus fulfilled the law in its moral sense in the fact that He obeyed it perfectly. None of us do. All of us fall short. There is none who does right. We have all fallen. We have all gone astray. Only Jesus fulfilled the moral law. And we think of other aspects of the law. Well, what about the ceremonial laws? Things like sacrifices. We don't sacrifice lambs and doves and all of those things anymore. 
But all of those, again, pointed towards Jesus, who was one day be the sacrificial lamb, the lamb who was slain, the perfect, spotless lamb of God. All of those, the blood of bulls and goats in the Old Testament could never take away sin. Only Jesus, the perfect, spotless lamb, could. So Jesus fulfilled the ceremonial law. And Jesus, what about those things that were civil law? Like shellfish. Can we eat shellfish? Can we eat catfish? Can we eat pigs? I hope so. (laughs) What about those things that were for the Jews only? Those things... They were for the Jewish people only. And I think Jesus did fulfill that in the sense that all of those things were supposed to keep God's people separate from those around them so that they didn't lose their identity as Israel before the time came when the Messiah would come. And when the Messiah came, Jesus said He cleansed all things. Peter, he has this vision of, of animals coming down from the sky on a sheet, and, on a sheet, and he said, uh, God tells him, "Arise, kill and eat." Peter didn't want to do it because he was a good Jew. He didn't want to do it. God tells him it was cleansed. Jesus fulfilled. He didn't just throw them out. There was no need for it anymore. Those things were for the Jewish people. And then there was a big discussion about that in Acts chapter fifteen. Well, did the Gentiles, when they become Christians, do they have to do all these ceremony, these, these uh, laws, like the food laws of eating only kosher food? And they decided, no, the Gentiles, they don't have to do that. Jesus fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the moral law. He was absolutely perfect. He never sinned. He fulfilled the ceremonial law and the fact that He was the one all those things were pointed to. And He... He fulfilled even the food laws in the sense that He made all things clean. There was no longer any need for that. So Jesus, let me get back to His words. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. I think Jesus here is echoing that psalm that Bradley read. From Psalm 119, Forever your word is fixed in heaven. It is firmly fixed. It will never change. Jesus here says, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot. Your translation might say, not a jot or tittle. An iota is the Smallest letter of the Greek alphabet. It is 
like a letter I, except there's no dot at the top of it. So it is the smallest letter. And then a dot, we get the idea. It's, it's the dot at the top of a letter. So not the smallest letter of the alphabet, not even the smallest part of a letter will, will pass away until heaven and earth pass away. If you have jot or tittle, here's what those are. Jot would be a, a, an English rendering of the Hebrew letter Yod. Yod. It, it's the smallest letter of the Hebrew language. It looks like a little comma that's hanging in the, in the text. And a tittle would be uh, when you have a letter in Hebrew and it's just a little sketch off the end of the letter. So not the smallest letter and not the smallest part of a letter. Jesus had a high view of Scripture. He said, not, not only do the thoughts matter, but the words and the letters matter. Not a jot or tittle will pass away until heaven and earth pass away. I don't know what kind of Bible that you might read at home. Um, I don't have anything against reading uh, more paraphrase or, or thought-for-thought tra- uh, translations when it comes to your own personal Bible reading for your devotional. But if you really want to know what God's Word says, I say, find a literal translation. Because every word matters. Every jot and tittle matters. Use the King James. Use the New American Standard. They say it's the most literal of any modern translation. I use the ESV because it's a little bit better readable. But all those are readable all those are literal translations. Um, I don't. I don't want to be say this in a legalistic sense. Uh, read what works good for you. Read what what you can read the Bible in. And if it if it means you can't read the Bible if you read a literal translation, then go for the thought for thought. But I'd say use as literal as you can if you want to know what God's word says. Use a literal translation. Jesus said that every jot and tittle, no jot or tittle would pass away. Verse 19, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. There's always been a tendency within Christianity towards what's called antinomianism. I'll explain that word. Anti, it's the word, the prefix we use, it means against. And nomos is the Greek word that means um, law. So antinomianism is against the law. So there has been this idea within Christianity since the very beginning, and you see it in uh, you see it when Paul writes against it in the book of Romans. Shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? And Paul says, "Perish the thought; may it never be so." But when we preach the true gospel, when we preach the gospel that Jesus died for our sins. And that we don't have to earn our salvation by being a good person. 
we can sound like an antinomian. If we're preaching the gospel, a free gift of God's grace, not by works, but by grace alone, we can sound like an antinomian, but we're not. Jesus did not come to dispense with the law, but to fulfill it. So whoever takes one of the least of these commandments, well, they're all from God. I don't know, it's, your guess is as good as mine, what's the least? If it's from God, it's pretty important. But whatever one is the least of these commandments, whoever takes one of the least of these commandments and sets it aside, says we don't have to do that anymore. Unless Jesus did so, unless the New Testament does so, we have no merit for doing that. Someone who, who says, well, Jesus has, has died for us. We don't earn our salvation, so let's just go live however we want to live. Let's, let's party it up and just do whatever we want to do, and then we'll just go for, ask God for forgiveness later. That's antinomianism. Jesus says that whoever does that and teaches others to do the same will be counted the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches others to do the same will be counted the greatest. We will be called great. I didn't say, I said greatest. It says we'll be called great in the kingdom of heaven. It is good to obey Jesus. We want to be His disciples. That's how I started this here. We want to be His disciples. We want to do what He has told us to do. He has not um, dispensed with the law, but He has fulfilled it. Then finally, Jesus says, verse 20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What do you think of that? We think... Often, when, we hear, when we've grown up hearing the stories of Jesus and how He interacted with the scribes and the Pharisees, we are conditioned to think that the scribes and the Pharisees are the bad guys. Well, they're the ones who killed Jesus, right? They're the ones who Jesus had so many conflicts, right? But they, were, they had a lot of things in common with Jesus. They studied the, the Bible constantly. They, in fact, Jesus says, you studied the Scriptures because you think you have life in them. They were partially right. They could find life in the Scriptures. And they studied them. They were not the villains that we've often thought of them about. About them. The, the, the Pharisees were upright, moral people. Their problem was they thought that was good enough. They thought it was good enough to just be an upright, moral person. But it wasn't. Jesus says, if you want in the kingdom of heaven, your righteousness has to be better than just your typical upright, good, moral person. It has to be better than just the scribes and the Pharisees. If we're looking to get to heaven on our own righteousness, we will never get there. 
We will never make it to heaven by being a good person. We will never get there because of our own righteousness, because it will never be able to be as good as those scribes and Pharisees. The only way we can get to heaven is not on our own righteousness, but it's on Jesus' righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Our righteousness is sinking sand. Jesus' righteousness is the solid rock. My close tonight will be this. The Old Testament was given, all of it, to point our way to Jesus. Jewish people at Jesus' time, they read the Old Testament, they searched the Scriptures, they searched it with blind eyes. They never saw that it all pointed to Jesus. And Jesus says that in in John chapter 5. He says, you search the Scriptures... You didn't see that they all led to me. There is a way to read the Bible, to study the Bible and miss Jesus. So that's one warning. Let's not be like the Pharisees. Where we study the Bible and think that it's all just a bunch of rules. It all points to Jesus. It all points to the fact we could never be good enough on our own. We could never be good enough. It's only through trusting in Jesus. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.wordpress.com or you can like us on Facebook. Facebook.